Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. So I wanted to start off, as I mentioned, the sermon with a little survey. Uh, if you're on our flock note system, you should be getting, you should have gotten some questions about now. And if you reply to it, I'll get it on my phone, and I'm going to see if Gordon can project the responses. Uh, and if you refresh, if you refresh the page, uh, you should be able to see it. So, question one: Is Hanukkah in the Bible? And if so, where? You're supposed to respond. You're not. This isn't call out. Where are you? You guys think you're in church or something? Come on, people. <laughs> no, it's okay. So, you, so John, I heard. Is it anywhere else? Okay. So, and then question number two: Why is Hanukkah eight nights? All right. So uh, let's uh, let's see what if and if anyone replied here. Uh, okay, Mary. Oh gosh. Who is this? <laughs> uh, it's, it's me. <laughs> I'm not going to call this person out, but if you said, who is this? It's me. Uh, Wayne said, yep, the book of Daniel and the gospel of John. Wayne Blankenship's on. Good. That's awesome, brother. I'm going uh, um, to be talk- mentioning you later. Uh, Jenny says, the gospels. I don't remember which one because oil was only, and then the second one because the oil was only supposed to last one night, but it lasted eight. Mary said John ten twenty two, very precise. Uh, Jay says John John ten twenty two. Kathy uh, says John ten, the feast of dedication. Eric says yes. Okay, thank you for that, Eric. <laughs> Virginia says John ten. Eric says oil. <laughs> Bonnie says yes, John. Oil miracle. That's how long the oil lasted. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to tackle these, uh, these questions today. Let's start with question number one. Is Hanukkah in the Bible? And if so, where? In the Hanukkah story, what happens? We rededicate the holy temple after a terrible Syrian Greek king puts disgusting things in it, right? And makes it punishable by death to follow the Torah. So how did we get here? Because Hanukkah is tomorrow night. So I thought we should learn about how we got to the Hanukkah story. In order for us to get a full sense of the meaning of this, I'm going to summarize or attempt to summarize a brief history of the Jewish people from the Bible times, from Abraham up until the Second Temple period when the Hanukkah story happens. And if I'm successful, it will make sense. And if not, we can chat, we can schmooze after, and you can say, that didn't make sense, and I'll explain it. Okay, does that sound good? All right. So there are a couple main patterns I want to draw out here that I saw as I was reading through the entirety of the Hebrew Bible, which I did last night, just kidding. All right. Um, And these these are the main patterns I want us to notice. Okay. 
So number one, God honors our choices for good or for evil. He honors our choices. Number two, God wants Israel to make good choices. Why? In order to bless all the nations through Israel, right? When Israel rejects God, God still finds a way to bring them back through rescuing and through grace and still finds a way to bring blessing to the nations, but it's a more roundabout way. Number three, God is working in and through history to bring about redemption and restoration. Not just the history in the Hebrew Bible, but the history between the two Testaments, right? And during the New Testament and, you know, for the past 2,000 years. God is the same God as he was in the Tanakh, right? And number four, God is always making a move to dwell with us, starting with the tabernacle and then moving to the... The tabernacle became the... Holy Temple, yes. One Torah point for Robert, okay? Uh, and then we had a, another temple, right? But there's something that keeps happening to this temple, right, over time. So we're going to talk about that as well. All right, you guys ready for this summary? Here we go. <clears throat> Abraham is called to be a blessing to all families of the earth. Then Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes, including Joseph, who saves all the sons of Israel and all the surrounding nations from famine. What a blessing. These are the Torah portions we're reading right now, right? That's how we end up where? <laughs> Not yet. We don't get to Hanukkah yet. Egypt. All right. Who said Egypt? All right. Torah point. Very nice. So we end up in Egypt uh, where we stayed until we were enslaved. And God brought us out through signs and wonders and his servant Moses. Then he gave us his Torah. It's right back there. Uh, or instruction so that we would follow his ways and be a unique covenanted people. Why? So we would be great? No. So we would be a blessing to the nations if we follow his Torah, if we follow his instruction. To dwell among his people, God instructed us to build a tabernacle, which is like a mobile Eden, right? Think of it as Eden to go. Even though we chose to worship a golden calf, God still wanted to be with us, right? You know, that's, that's pretty cool. He wanted to dwell within the Jewish people, then called Israel. To fulfill God's promise of blessing, he wanted to bring us then into the land of Israel in order to follow his ways and be an example. But uh, we were scared and we were mistrusting. So God did what? He honored our choice. Okay, you don't want to go in the land? I will honor that choice. You can stay in the desert for 40 years until an entire generation dies off. And then, and only then, do we enter the land under Moses' mentee, Joshua. Then, after Joshua and the conquering of the land and the taking of the land, there were a series of charismatic leaders like Gideon and Samson and Deborah, who saved us in this pattern. Here's the pattern. You ready for this? We were happy. Let me see happy. Then we were proud. Oh, I'm so great, right? Then 
we started worshiping the gods of the Philistines instead of being a blessing to the nations of the land of Israel uh, and influencing them for good, what happened? They started influencing us. We followed their ways. And not only was there idolatry, but what follows from that? Debased morality, disgusting practices, which I'm not going to mention in front of the kids, but you can read about it. And so then what happens? We're conquered by our enemies like the Philistines, and then we cry out to God, God save us, and God raises up a charismatic leader like Gideon or Deborah, and, uh, and then we were saved, and then we were happy, and then guess what happened? We're happy, so we become proud. Oh, I'm so great. Look at me, right? And then the cycle starts over. If you read through the book of Judges, this is what you see, okay? And if you want to see the, the lowest point of morality, take a look at uh, Judges um, in, in the end, toward the end of the Judges period in uh, chapter 20 or 21 or so. Um, but anyway, uh, this happened over and over again until we got one charismatic leader who was raised up, who was kind of a pivotal figure. His name was Samuel. And uh, he was uh, not only uh, raised up by God as a charismatic leader, like a judge, like Gideon, but he was also a prophet. And uh, we said, hey, Samuel, give us a king. And guess what? God honored our terrible choice. So we had Saul. We had Saul. And then, because God is redemptive, and he uses our terrible choices for good, then we had King David. Come on, you could do better than that. Yay! And we had King Solomon for the first part of his life. And King David for the first part of his life. Man, these guys did not end well. All right, so uh, Solomon uh, built the first uh, permanent tabernacle, also known as the, the first temple, okay? And they didn't know it was the first temple, so it was just the temple, right? Right? Okay, so what was that? That was Eden, again, in the land of Israel. And there was justice in the courts for a while, right? And uh, the queen of Ethiopia came and marveled at what? The beauty and the peace and the justice. Because why? They were worshiping only God, and they were following what? The Torah. And Solomon was following the Torah. The king was subject to the law. Huh. So they were doing all. But because Solomon had it all, he became happy. And guess what happens when you become happy? Sometimes you become proud. And then he started worshiping all these other gods, and he forsook the Torah, and then God ripped the kingdom from him, and the Jewish people were divided, the entire kingdom. There was a north and south, just like the American Civil War. And mostly, the kings were just terrible, worshiping other gods, and these were the days of Elijah, preparing the word of... Sorry, sorry, um, that's the, those were the days of Elijah and Elisha, the prophets, to try to bring some morality and goodness back to the land and the people. This was even worse than the period of the judges, if you can imagine that. Things got so disgusting that both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were vomited out of the land. Why? Well, the land is holy. It's supposed to be a land for a people to be a blessing to all the nations. But if we bring in other gods, 
and do disgusting things over and over and over and over, rejecting God's Torah, God honors that choice. You can't be there. If you're not going to be a good influence, I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to let you be there. But guess what? God honors our bad choice, and we get kicked out. But when God tears us from the land, guess what? He's still with us in exile. Read about it in the first chapter of Ezekiel. What happens? The Godmobile, the Eden on wheels, shows up in Babylon in front of Ezekiel. Why is that? Because God is redemptive, even when we make bad choices. Then after 70 years, in 520 BCE, some of the Jews come back, but not all, to the land, and what do they do? It was destroyed by the Babylonians, so what do they do? They rebuild it. They build a second temple, which stands for about 600 years until 70 CE. This is the period known as Second Temple Judaism. When the second temple is built, and uh, until it's destroyed, it mostly takes place between the two testaments of the Bible. So the very end of the Hebrew Bible is the beginning of the Second Temple period. Who does that? That's uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, right? They come back, or some of them come back, they rebuild the temple, they rebuild Jerusalem, and they uh, uh, try to teach the Torah. They're reformers, right? They're trying to come back to the Lord, and that's how the quote-unquote Old Testament ends, right? And, uh, but also, this, then after that, we don't, we don't know what happens in the Bible, right? So how do we know what's happening in history? There are intertestamental texts, right? They're called Second Temple Jewish texts. And uh, we're going to look at that. And that is when the story of Hanukkah happens, in between these two times. Just because it's not, doesn't take place in the Bible doesn't mean it's not important, right? And we're going to see how it connects to all of this, okay? God continues to work in and through the Jewish people after the Old Testament, right? He's the same God. And so we need some more material to draw that link between the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. We want that link, right? We need the Hanukkah story. The Hanukkah story is part of that link that's going to link the two Testaments together, and then we'll see the redemption of God, hopefully. Were you here last week? I was not. But I listened to an excellent historical sermon on the Tikvot Israel podcast. If you don't subscribe to our podcast, this is a little plug for that. And I heard an excellent historical sermon from our Shamish Wayne, who I think is uh, at least getting our text. Maybe he's on, on the Zoom call. And I learned this. Do you, guys, do you guys know what I'm about to say? Eat at Bubba's Pensacola's greatest restaurant. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, that's about half of you. Okay, <laughs> you got to come every week, guys. Even though I wasn't here, it doesn't mean you can't. You don't have to come. All right, eat. Let's say it together again. Eat at Bubba's Pensacola's greatest restaurant. Why should we remember this silly statement? Is it because our friends are here? Are you guys near Pensacola, right? No, okay. It was worth a shot. We should remember because Shamash Wayne composed a way to remember the kingdoms that conquered the Jewish people in antiquity. 
That was your cue, Gordon. All right. In antiquity. All right. Yay. The empires. Eight is what? Egypt. That's the period of the Exodus. Yeah, and the Torah. That's right. No, no, that's good. The Torah and the Exodus. Uh, the second book of the Torah. At is for Assyria. Bubalas is for Babylon. Assyrian Babylon were the two kingdoms that did what? Conquered us and carried us into exile. That was the first exile for our evil choices. So you have, uh, uh, that's, you know, the first kingdom, the first temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed. Uh, the one that Solomon built, okay? And then Pensacola, what do you have? Persia. This was the empire that Ezra appealed to, right? The Persian king, Cyrus, does this sound familiar? He allowed us to go back, some of us, and build the second temple and rebuild Jerusalem under Persian rule. And it wasn't that bad. We had a little bit of autonomy, okay? Then the greatest is the Greek empire. This was the empire of Alexander the Great, or not so great, as we may think, and we're going to learn a lot about him today. He conquered the Persian Empire and started to spread what? What do you think he started to spread? Hellenism, right? Which is a fancy word for Greek culture. What is Greek culture? Multiple gods and disgusting practice. That's what it is. Not, not the current Greek culture. They're, you know, the democracy, that's all good, but I'm talking about the ancient Greeks, right? Okay, if there's any Greeks here, I'm not talking about you, all right? The Jews in Judea still have some autonomy, but, and we still had the Holy Temple, but that's changing, right? Because after Alexander the Great, you know, this Greek influence starts to come in. And uh, not only does it come in, but some of the Jews actually welcome it, right? It's that compromise that we were seeing in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Bible. And then restaurant is... Roman, right? After the Greeks were, was the Roman uh, occupation of the land, and that's where we find ourselves in the time of Yeshua. So we go all the way through, right? So thank you, uh, Shamish Wayne, wherever you are. That was excellent, yeah. So is the story of Hanukkah in the Bible? Well, it's predicted pretty well. In what book? The book of Daniel, which takes place during the first exile I mentioned, right? The Babylonians carried us out, out and now we're in Babylon. And uh, Daniel has some visions, which predict, some of which predicts the end of days, and some of which predicts the second temple period, just a few hundred years later, with wild imagery. It is so accurate. It is so accurate in the book of Daniel that scholars have done their darndest to try to prove that Daniel was written in the Second Temple period because it predicts it so well. They're like, well, this can't, this can't have been written at the time that it says because it's so accurate. But guess what? God can, can see what's going to happen, right? <laughs> God can reveal that to his servant. It's not, it's not a mystery. It's not rocket science. It's the Lord. The Lord revealed this to him. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about our friend, uh, or uh, maybe not so friend, Alexander the Great, representing the uh, Greek Empire, which took over from the Pensacola, 
Persian Empire. You got it. This is from gotquestions.org. Quote, the name Alexander, or Alexander the Great, referring to the Macedonian king, Macedon is in the Greek area, never appears in the Bible. However, the prophets Daniel and Zechariah wrote prophecies concerning Greece and Alexander's Macedonian empire. The prophecies in Daniel have proved so reliable, this is what I was saying, that some critics have tried to post-date his writing, even through copious literary, historical, and biblical factors point to a date of writing in the 6th century BCE. BCE. That's well before uh, these events take place. Zechariah wrote between 520 and um, 470 BC, also well before Alexander's rise to power. His legacy was quickly made, briefly lived, and lasted uh, to this day. Born in 356 BC and dying 32 years later, he only reigned for 13 years, the vast majority of which he spent outside of Macedonia. His legacy of conquest uh, of nearly the entire known world resulted in one of the largest empires in ancient history. He overthrew the entire Persian Empire, Asia Minor, Persia, Egypt, and everything in between, including the land of Israel. Alexander died undefeated in battle, but without a clear heir, uh, which led to division of his empire among four of his generals. Remember that there were four. That's important. Although Alexander's empire split, the Hellenism, right, the Greek culture, he spread continued. Greek eventually became the universal language, right? And it's not all bad. The New Testament was written in Greek. You know, that's good. And Greek culture was either required or encouraged in all parts of the divided empire. But a lot of it, of course, was debased and immoral. Um, Israel changed hands between the Ptolemaic and Seleucid uh, kingdoms. So what am I talking about? The Ptolemaic is, uh, if, thank you, thank you, Gordon. The Ptolemaic, you can see uh, down there, uh, that is, uh, the, I believe, the Egyptian, right, Kathy? And uh, the Seleucid would be uh, over to the, the green part. That's uh, <clears throat> the Persian, what, you know. So a Alexander the Great dies. He doesn't have an heir, so it's divided into four. And these are the four ones. Look where Israel is. Where is Israel? It's right in between those two, right? So they're going to be fighting over that land, over the land of Judea. And that's going to lead us right into the Hanukkah story. Israel later gained its independence from 167 to 63 BC, a time referred to as the Hasmonean period and recorded in the apocryphal books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees. The end of this period was marked by the Roman conquest of Jerusalem in 63 BC and then the destruction of the temple in 70, uh, which is... Uh, 140 years later. Daniel discusses a great deal of then-future events, which, as mentioned above, have proved true. By God's inspiration, Daniel predicted that there would be a succession of four global empires. His prophecy included many details, including the fact that the Greek empire would split into four parts. Daniel chapter 2 tells of Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right, of a large statue. It has a gold head, and silver chest and arms, bronze belly and thighs, and iron legs. So the kingdoms get weaker and weaker as it goes on. Each of these metals is progressively less valuable and represents a different kingdom, the first of which Daniel identifies as Babylon. That's where he is, Nebuchadnezzar's empire. From our vantage point in history, we know what those later kingdoms are, right? 
So the four kingdoms are Babylon, and then Persia, the Medes and the Persians, right? And then Greek, and then Roman, right? Eat at Bubala's, Pensacola's greatest restaurant. Thanks again, Wayne. Uh, Daniel also received a vision of the demise of the Medo-Persian Empire, which had, in 539 BC, overtaken the Babylonian kingdom. Remember? It's Persian comes after. God specifically names the Medo-Persian and Greek empires in Daniel 8, 20 through 21, and, and Daniel 10. The first half of the chapter 8 is highly symbolic about a ram and a goat. So these are the images of the rulers that Daniel talks about. The ram has two horns, one longer than the other, representing what? The Medes and the Persians. This is in Daniel chapter 8, if you want to check it out. And none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Then a goat came from the west with a single horn between its eyes. A horn represents a ruler. Who is that great horn that Daniel predicted? Alexander the Great, right. The goat killed the ram and became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, a prediction of Alexander's untimely death. Remember, he died when he was 32. Uh, in Daniel's vision, the single horn is replaced by how many horns, do you think? Four. Yes. Four new horns, which are the four kingdoms. This is from Daniel. Four kingdoms will emerge from this nation, but will not have the same power. That's exactly what happened. The four new kingdoms are mentioned again in Daniel 11, which he says that his, referring to Alexander, empire will be broken up and parceled out to the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised. These passages describe two centuries in advance precisely what happened to Alexander. Approximately 250 years before Alexander began his world conquest, God provided Daniel with a glimpse into the future. This was important to Daniel and his people, as God also told them they would return to their land and he would take care of them through the coming tumultuous times. Kingdoms rise and fall, but God holds the future and his word stands. Unquote. Amen. You know, in the writings of Josephus, Josephus is another Second Temple writer, historian. He records that Alexander the Great visits the land of Israel. Scholars have tried to dismiss this. They say that he made it up, but they believe everything else that Josephus wrote because he's a reliable historian. Do you know what happened when Alexander the Great went to the land of Israel? He had a dream, and the high priest at the time had a dream, and he wore a specific garment, and Alexander recognized this garment from the dream, and uh, this conquering king actually had a pleasant meeting with the high priest of the holy temple in Jerusalem. Do you know what happened? He showed him the Bible. He showed him Daniel. And he said, Alexander said, I think I'm the guy in this text. This is what Josephus records. This is what he says. When the book of Daniel was shown to him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians, 
he supposed that himself was the person intended, and as he was then glad, he dismissed the multitude for the present. Many scholars regard Josephus as a reputable historian on the same footing as other ancient authorities. Why then is this remarkable record of Alexander's visit to Jerusalem so casually dismissed as a fabrication? Historians don't know what to do with this. When the Bible <laughs> accurately predicts what's going to happen, they don't know what to do. But I think we do. So Alexander dies, kingdom breaks into four, and soon you have, they're warring over the land of Judea, and you have this tyrant, Antiochus Epiphanes, the Syrian Greek ruler over Judea. And what happens in the Hanukkah story? You have Greek gods, disgusting parts of Greek culture, start to invade Judaism in the Torah. Many Jews actually welcome this, worshiping Zeus and running around naked in the gymnasium. Then the terrible king Antiochus proclaims himself to be a god. That's what Epiphanes means. He puts the statue of Zeus in the holy temple and a pig on the holy altar. He makes it punishable by death to follow the Torah. And then through Judah Maccabee, what do we do? We rededicate the holy temple in Jerusalem. Does this story sound familiar to you? Yeah, this is what God does. Here in the Hanukkah story, we see the same themes as in the Hebrew Bible. God honors our choices for good or bad. We chose the Greek gods and Greek philosophy and the disgusting parts of ancient Greek culture. However, just like in the days of Tanakh, we were happy, we grew proud, we went into idolatry, we lost the temple, same thing, right? We cried out, God raised up a charismatic leader, Judah Maccabee, and we were saved. When Israel rejects God, God always finds a way to bring them back through his rescuing grace because God is faithful. He's faithful to redeem us. Some, not all, but some of the Jewish people have rejected Yeshua as Messiah. But guess what? Paul says God is using that to bring blessing to the nations, right? He's redemptive. God wants Israel to make good choices in order to bless all the nations through her. He wants Israel to choose his Torah and his ways, even in tough times. He wants us to choose him, to choose the Torah. But even if we don't, he still rescues us because he's faithful. God is working in and through history to bring about redemption and restoration even today. These are difficult times, right? If God was in control then with all those empires, right? He's in control now. The people of God, we, followers of Yeshua, can have peace knowing that God has a plan through all this. God is still doing things. We just heard from our brother Robert about Jewish people coming to faith during COVID. Yes, that's what God does. Yeah. God is always making a move to do what? To dwell with us. We saw it in the tabernacle. We saw it in the temple. We saw it in the second temple, right? We saw it in the rededication of the temple for Hanukkah. 
And how is he with us today? There's no temple, right? He's with us by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, you, you plural, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you now to guide us in all things. Let's pray. Avinu, we thank you for the story of your word, which is true. We thank you that historians struggle to explain it, how Daniel could have predicted all those things so accurately. But we know, we know God, and we trust you, and we trust your word because your word is reliable. And we ask that you would help us to have hope in the midst of turmoil, and no matter what's going on, Lord, that we would look to you and see your redemption and put our trust in you, and that you would encourage us to keep going, encourage us to keep gospeling, to keep loving, to keep blessing, to, being, to be a blessing to others, Lord, just as you called Israel to do, and just as you called uh, and call, still call, uh, Israel and the body of Messiah to be a blessing to others, um, that they would know that there is a God in heaven that's consistently rescuing us, consistently honoring our good choices and honoring our bad choices, and consistently drawing us out from those bad choices and setting our feet on solid ground. You're faithful, Lord. You're faithful to Israel. You're faithful to the church. You're faithful to us, and we worship you and we love you. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.